0: The Guardian.
1: A market in central Barcelona. I tend uh, to spend less, but not because I can afford it. It's just that I I feel bad if I do. Miguel
0: Lorenzo has a job, but he knows plenty who haven't. Is that cuttlefish? So how much do people talk about what's happened to the economy in Spain?
1: Well, all the time. In fact, um, I remember there was this bar where they had a sign saying it is forbidden to talk about the thing, how bad the thing looks. And the thing being the crisis, of course, because the the owner was fed up with, uh, you know, conversations about how everything looks terrible. And yeah, I mean, it's the sign of the times, no? That was
0: Miguel Vega-Lorenzo. He's an English language teacher at the University in Barcelona and lucky because both he and his partner, Purita, have permanent jobs. He feels relatively financially secure, but he can't escape the mood which prevails in the city. The economic story of Spain in the last ten years has been one of highs and lows. The dizzying growth of the country due to the property and banking boom meant it really suffered during the world financial crash of 2008. This is the third in a special series of Focus podcasts for The Guardian's Europe season. I'm John Henley, and today we'll be asking how Spain can stabilise itself and get back to work, and just how far along the path of recovery the country really is. So I'm joined in the studio by our business reporter, Jill Trina, uh, by the London-based correspondent for El Mundo, Eduardo Suárez. Uh, and on the line from Barcelona is Giles Tremlett, the Guardian's Spain correspondent. Welcome to all of you. Um, and, of course, we'll be hearing from our family from Barcelona throughout the programme. Um, Giles, let's start with you, if we could. Um, the unemployment rate in the UK is slightly less than half that of Spain, uh, which sounds staggering. Can, can you give us a sense of who's been hit the worst by the crisis, or, or is it really right across the board?
2: Well, the, the unemployment rate here is a staggering uh, 20%. That's more than 4 million uh, people without jobs. Um, uh, who's been hit? Well, uh, first off, uh, construction workers. Uh, Spain had a, um, a residential property uh, bubble that burst. Uh, that happened at exactly the time as as the credit crunch and the fallout of of both things means uh, basically unemployment uh, across the board, but with uh, manual labourers and uh, and especially many of the uh, immigrants who arrived over the last uh, decade or so to uh, take up jobs on uh, on building sites uh, now on the dull.
0: And is there, an, is there an age thing going on here? Older people or younger people worse hit?
2: Um, yes, well, younger people are, are worse off. Uh, unemployment there is reaches uh, 45%, I think, on, on some measures, which is uh, terrible. One thing that's interesting about this uh, particular uh, bout of unemployment is that unlike Spain's last recession... Uh, A lot of uh, family breadwinners uh, are losing their jobs. The last time around, uh, often it was the the second job in the family. This time, uh, it's often the first one. So a pretty dire situation um i mean eduardo
0: one of the interesting things uh from our perspective looking at spain i guess is that um spain and the uk's economic situations in the run up to the
3: crisis were quite similar there were some fairly strong parallels well of course uh, there was there was in both cases there was a strong bubble in your case it's a financial bubble because you have the city of london and all these financial Companies in our case with a strong and very big uh, property bubble, as, as Giles said before. Um, the problem for Spain is that uh, we have uh, grown uh, very, very much before the crisis. A little bit like Ireland, more, more than the UK, and uh, so, so the fall is, is is really really big. I mean, you have to think that uh, these are the, the levels of, of employment that we used to have in the 80s, in the 70s, when we were a, a, a very backwards country. Um, now, I mean, it is really shocking to to come back to the 80s for us. Uh, we are a country that has uh, grown um, in very very much figures in in the in, in the in the 90s and and the early 90s. and and now for us, it's, it's really, really shocking to come back. Was it too fast, the growth? Well, I think it, it, it was not too fast. The problem with the growth was that the growth was only coming from housing. And that's the, that's the real problem for the Spanish economy. The other problem, and I think uh, we can talk about it later on, is the, the rigidity of our labor market. It is, it is really a three-tier uh, labor market. I mean, there are people working for the public sector who can't be fired, Uh, people working in the private sector with very good contracts, like the one who spoke uh, there and he has a fixed term contract, and, and later on you have these young people especially young people and other people as well but especially young people with temporary contracts mm. that uh, that really can they, they can be fired at any moment yeah. and with any notice and with and with no rights at all we'll, we'll look at the labor market in a bit more detail later but Jill first um, turn to you I mean we've
0: heard from both Giles and Eduardo about the, the the depth of this crash. How did the Spanish government react?
4: Well it seems to me that um, the Spanish government did what a lot of governments have found themselves having to do is say to people, particularly public sector workers, we're going to freeze your pensions, we're going to um, cut back on all sorts of benefits, pretty much kind of what's been going on in the UK, in that governments are actually left with not that many options when they've got economies that actually haven't got a lot of legs to them. And Eduardo made an interesting point about likening Spain to Ireland. It's on a different scale. And I don't think we've found the corruption and things that seems to be merging in some of the parts of the Irish economy, or at least in some of the Irish banks. But, you know, Spain's growth was largely about massive explosion in, in, in property. So it it leaves you as a government with, with not many options.
0: So, Jill, yes, a, a, a fairly standard package of measures, as you were saying. Um, Eduardo, any particular detail in the stimulus packages that, that might be worth mentioning?
3: Well, yes, I, I would say that um, the reaction of the Spanish government to the crisis has, has been, the I mean, there was a uh, before and after May 2010. At that moment, uh, Germany, especially Germany, but our European allies, forced the Spanish prime ministers to change track and actually um, transform the economy from this stimulus uh, plan before to this pay rises and cuts later on. Okay, so, then. you know, it is this really, really big moment in May uh, 2010. Before that, the Spanish government was uh, making a policy, a social democrat policy with a strong stimulus uh, plan, very similar to the one that Brown uh, did in the UK. I and mean, they were
4: yeah. desperately trying to fight their way out of a recession, which they'd yeah. been stuck in for uh, seven quarters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a
3: lot of time. And, and I think that w- that make, made sense at the time. The Spanish opposition, of course, were saying Zapatero was not telling the truth, was in denial with the crisis and should uh, should uh, tackle the deficit, which was... And, and then, indeed, then, then yeah. down yeah.
0: did come the
2: act. axe. Indeed, um, that, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary let, change, really. I mean, what you have to imagine is... Uh, is, you know, uh, a single person, one politician who goes from being uh, Gordon Brown one day to being Cameron the next day, or Osborne. I mean, it was uh, an amazing, amazing U-turn.
0: Excellent. Okay, well, let's let's go back to that moment, I think. Um, And we'll hear a report uh, from May 2010, when, as we say, this extraordinary uh, package of austerity measures was announced um, in a speech that the president, uh, José Rodríguez Zapatero, said at the time was the hardest he had ever had to make. Painful, but essential, according to Spain's finance minister. Massive cuts and savings totaling 18.4 billion dollars.
4: They highlight that the government neither doubts nor shies from shouldering its responsibilities in adopting the best decisions for Spain at every moment, no matter how difficult they may be.
0: The austerity package scraped through Parliament by just one vote. Now almost everyone will suffer in an attempt to get the country's economy back on track. The Spanish Prime Minister, whose own salary will be cut by 15%, is desperate to avoid a Greek-style crisis which has seen violent demonstrations on the street. Clearly, a very big deal indeed, Eduardo. How I mean, how did the Spanish political class describe it at the time? Was it a really, a genuinely a traumatic moment? For it
3: was a traumatic moment. I mean, I think uh, Giles gave a, a splendid metaphor for 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 your own understanding the British people. Yes, I mean, it was between Gordon Brown and David Cameron. Uh, suddenly, uh, Zapatero began to to make another uh, another different policies, uh, and the most striking thing uh, um, was that um, the Spanish. Uh, the Prime Minister, the Spanish President, was describing this in private uh, uh, as it was reported as his Pearl Harbor moment. Before that, uh, he didn't he didn't really see the the, the need of of, of 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 making cuts of pay rises after that. And I think the, the the intervention of Angela Merkel, some people say Obama as well, was was really instrumental in this. Okay,
0: okay, and I suppose the logical. Follow up question then is, has it worked, Jill? Has 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 this extraordinary package of austerity measures actually had an effect?
4: Well, it's interesting. I mean, it, it depends on what effect you want them to have. I mean, as I understand it, the Spanish economy finally could say it came out of recession in May 2010, which is exactly the time. Just remember, this is in the days after those dark days of the Greek crisis, where it looked as if the entire Eurozone was falling apart. This was before we'd had Ireland. So it looked as if they were coming out of recession. They could officially say we're out of recession. And then what happens in the fourth quarter? Oops-a-daisy. Everything starts to look as if it's slowing down again. Now, yes, they're bringing in the deficit, but it's all this conversation that we're having here in the UK. Do you cut to bring your deficit down or do you try and grow and pull your way out of recession? Clearly, prime ministers like the one in Spain would, under their own devices, choose the option of trying to stimulate growth rather than pull growth down but cut your economy, if that yeah. makes sense.
3: Yes, but the difference in Spain is that we we cannot choose. I mean, yeah, our, uh, Spanish, our yeah. European allies are saying, "Well, it's just you have to do that," and and we cannot say no. I mean, the you prime have minister no Ukraine. choice in the matter. No, yeah. no, yeah. America. So, I mean, America that's is taking the decisions actually. <laughs>
4: well, also, I mean, to be honest, I think David Cameron and George Osborne argue that they don't feel they can make decisions because they feel they're at the mercies of the markets anyway. So, not quite sure whose decision it is. Some. Bo- Bond trade well, well, exactly, Giles. <laughs> well, I, I mean,
0: think... the, the euro is obviously. Oh, sorry, Giles. Euro. The euro is obviously the the big complicating factor here for Spain. Um, how? I mean, how close has it come to needing a a, a bailout?
2: Well, things were looking um, pretty shaky in uh, in May two thousand and ten um uh, as they were for 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 lots of u- lots of other countries i think the uh, the consensus now is that is that spain uh, does not need a bailout will not need a bailout unless something uh, extraordinary happens to uh, to make things worse i mean
0: might 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 problems in portugal play a part in that
2: well uh, i mean in in the uh, in the sense that there's a, a, a domino theory out there which is that you know when one falls then another one has to fall afterwards again i think the consensus is that uh that it will be able to resist that pressure. Of course, a lot will um, depend on uh, decisions made about European um, rescue funds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay,
0: I mean, at the heart of this Spanish story is obviously we mentioned it earlier: this this broken construction industry and the the enormous uh, property bubble that that collapsed almost overnight. Let's hear from Miguel, our friend in Barcelona, as he goes to a local estate agent.
1: Basically, what we see is the the typical flat you might find in this area. I don't know how realistic these prices are, but compared to maybe three or four years ago, I can say they are 40 or even 50% cheaper than they used to be from what I'm looking at at the moment prices have gone down dramatically and and in fact one thing is what the official uh, statistics say what the government publishes I think doesn't correspond to the reality. Uh, I guess we have too few people owning too much and not being willing to sell them for the real price and just waiting which at the end of the day is all speculation and we have a very sad story of speculation in this country unfortunately.
0: So, Giles, there's worse still to come?
2: Well, there's not
1: necessarily worse still
2: to come. I mean, in the housing market, uh, we would expect prices to go down. Um, The thing is that the Spanish housing market is a a very difficult thing to to understand. I'm constantly asking economists to explain it to me, and even they admit that they they can't. Prices don't seem to go down as much as they should. You have uh, variations between what seems to be the official price falls and what's really and what's really happening but the problem is really that there are uh, at least 800,000 unsold new homes in Spain that's going to take uh, at least 3 years if not 5 years uh, to be absorbed by the market in the meantime uh, many of those homes have ended up uh, um, being owned by banks because the property developers themselves default on their loans, and they just hand over the properties. And those properties, and also the the building land that the banks have ended up owning, those are, are basically what make um, you know analysts in the city and other places worry about uh, about the Spanish banking system.
0: So, Eduardo, I mean, there's another point, isn't there, related to the collapse of the construction industry, and that's this whole vast swathe of the workforce who are now unemployed. And these are people who don't really have the skills to do very
3: much else, aren't they? What's going to happen to them? Yeah, it is difficult to, to say. I think, uh, um, on the one hand, there, there have been reports of some of these people coming back to agriculture, for example, in the south of Spain. But it is difficult because in in southern Spain these kind of jobs have been uh, taken by immigrants in the last few years, people from Poland, people from Morocco and other places. So it is difficult to see what was the exit for them. Um, On the other hand, uh, um, the the people are um, coming back and they are trying to get to the public sector um, uh, because um, if you are in, in the public sector, you have a job for life, you cannot be fired. The problem for this is that that of course the, the cuts in the Spanish public sector are, are really, really rough and, and, and the Spanish government are not uh, giving away so many posts. Mm. So it is really, really hard to get into yeah. the public sector, which is the, is the, the, the logical exit for, a, for a people a people, lot people coming from the and, university. And
0: Giles, I mean, Giles is, is part of the problem the, the rigidity of the Spanish labour market? And are there any measures being taken to try and do something about that?
2: We have had measures and and more measures are being debated uh, as we speak. Basically there was a first round of measures which uh, um, simply made um, uh, firing cheaper. If you look at the figures that hasn't actually had much of an impact. So what's being looked at now is ways of uh, changing the collective bargaining system which is very very rigid indeed and uh, basically sort of builds a kind of inertia into the system where um, often people have pay rises based on what was going on two, three, even four years ago in the economy. Um, So that's what's being debated at the moment and a lot of people are watching very closely um, to see whether uh, the government and the trade unions and employers who are all talking about it together uh, come up with something uh, meaningful that's going to improve Spanish productivity, which is the real um, problem.
0: The real issue, okay. Now there is another, a further part of the Spanish story, Uh, plainly, Jill, that's the banks, Um, can we look at Santander uh, to start with obviously a Spanish bank with a very big presence in the UK should British customers be worried? Oh no
4: but look what's really fascinating I think is that if you look back to 2007, 2008 when our banking system was falling apart when the British government needed somebody to come and help stop them nationalising huge swathes of Bradford and Bingley Alliance and Leicester who did they call on? Santander. I mean, at the time, Santander was in an extraordinary position because everybody was congratulating the Bank of Spain on its, I don't want to get geeky about this, but on the rules it has in place about how much capital banks can hold. So while many, many, many UK banks had been driving their capital ratios low by doing mad deals or doing massive share buybacks, Spanish banks were in fact not allowed to do any of that kind of stuff. So Santander looked fantastically strong. It still is strong. I mean, yes, it's now feeling the huge pain of this property bubble we've been talking about. There's no Spanish bank, I think, that is now unscathed from this property bubble. And may I point out that even Barclays has got problems with the property bubble and has been told by the Bank of Spain that it needs to put more money into its Spanish banking operation. So the property problem has hurt everyone. But the reality is that Santander does indeed now own household names in the UK, Alliance and Leicester, Abbey National, and part of Bradford & Bingley, and what it's also done in kind of quite a bold move has decided to get rid of all those old brands and put its own name on the British High Street. So the kind of familiar red flame logo of, of, of Santander is now there hanging on our High Street. So we can't get away from it. It's a crucial um, it's, it's a crucial part of our, um, of our economy now, yeah,
0: but there is there is a big difference, isn't there, between the the, the top tier Spanish banks and the and the regional ones.
4: Yes, of course. I mean, it's it's also the, similar to the problem we've got here in the UK, where you've got strong banks and then building societies that have been having a harder time. In Spain, those building societies are called cajas. You're going to help me now say that properly, are Thank you, <laughs> sure, good. Um, and, and essentially, what Moody's did at the start of the month was say, look, we need to downgrade our rating on Spain because we're concerned about the cost of potentially bailing out these organizations you know only a few months ago moody's had said it could it could cost 17 billion euros you know roll the clock forward a bit and it becomes 50 billion euros now look the spanish authorities are denying all these numbers and they will continue to do so but the spanish authorities also know they do need to do something about these smaller banks they're talking about trying to merge them together maybe float them on the stock market and i hate to introduce another bit more geek but the European authorities are now embarking on a whole new range of stress tests mm. on banks across Europe. and you can be sure that when those results come out, I'm afraid those smaller Spanish institutions are going to be top of the list that the bankers the bank analysts are looking at. so
0: how, how do the Spanish feel about that on the ground Giles? are they do they have confidence in their in in these regional banks?
4: well uh, I mean
2: the first thing I would say is that is that the ones that are in trouble do tend to be small. so in terms of sort of overall numbers, we're not talking about uh, Necessarily, a, a massive hit on the on the Spanish banking system. Even even the big figures, the the fifty billion that uh, I think it's fifty that Moody's talking about, are uh, doable. So I think more uh, more than sort of worries by consumers, it's more uh, a feeling of you know when are we going to get over this? Um, you know, we we're, we're, we're Spain. We're sort of proud of our banking system because, as Jill said, we didn't have all those trouble, all those problems that everyone else had. Um, Nothing's really had to be nationalized except for a couple of uh, tiny um, uh, savings banks. So um, uh, if you compare what's happened in Spain to what happened in Britain, for example, or, or what's happening in Ireland, well there really is no no comparison. But just the idea that there's this sort of cloud of doubt hanging over the system itself Prevents things happening. It prevents uh, the banks themselves from lending because they find it difficult uh, to borrow to borrow money on the markets, and uh, and it's just ongoing uncertainty. The yeah, um, whole. well,
0: like nearly every other country we've heard from so far in this series, Spain is also reforming its state provision. Um, Let's hear at this point from our family in Barcelona again. They've got mixed views. We'll hear first from Manuel's partner, Purita, and then Manuel himself.
4: People sometimes say we should pay something to go to the doctors. And when I say something is just one euro, as you know, that is free. Sometimes people go too often, especially old people. Sometimes just one euro would be Good.
1: Yeah. What worries me is that they, they're um, implementing all these measures at the same time, for example, helps for single mothers or the kind of salary that a family would get if they look after somebody uh, who is ill mm-hmm. permanently, they have this chronic disease or something. Many, many of these things I don't think are that urgent. Mm. And they can, I mean, yes, they justify everything on the basis of the crisis
0: it sounds like manuel's view at least is a, is possibly too late and too tough, too too brutal. Is that a, a, a good way of looking at it?
3: Well, I would say that uh, Spain has a, a very big um, welfare state, uh, as 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 most of the of the European states, I think, uh, and that's a good thing, definitely. Uh, on the other hand, I think uh, there is some feeling in Spain that uh, the government has been expanding this welfare state too much, uh, too late. I mean, in the in the years of the crisis, the, the Spanish prime minister still were expanding this this welfare state. Partly because he, with the excuse that uh, well he had to to give some stimulus with some um, some aid for, for for young mothers for example and things like that to have more children etc. But I think that was not a wise thing to do probably. Um, on the other hand, um, I think uh, what they said about um, about the health system. Yes, of course. I mean there are some there are too many people going to the doctor for nothing sometimes in Spain, and um, there is this uh, this. This law passed by the Parliament about uh, people taking care of, of their, rel- their, their old relatives and so maybe that was too much as well in a situation that when, when the crisis was coming but on the other hand uh, the government was was not seeing that so well that made sense at the time. Charles
0: okay. d- does that tally with, with, with your experience that, that, that the, the, the the welfare state maybe was becoming too generous and that some of the uh, some of the cuts that are lying ahead are going to be painful?
2: Yes, um, I think we're in a sort of um, two steps forward, yeah, one step backwards situation, or, or perhaps it would be better to say, you know, five steps forward, one step backwards. You know, Spain's welfare state has grown in recent years, uh, and that's a good thing, but now it has to trim it back to um, to the level of uh, income that the Spanish state has. Any backward step is traumatic in in many ways, but... If you look at it historically, you know, Spain is is still growing its welfare state, and if it's got to stop for a bit, well, you know, so be it.
0: So be it, yeah. Okay, well, we're, we're nearing the end of the podcast now, but I'd like to briefly, if we could, touch on a couple of the issues that it looks like Spain may be facing as we, you know, as, as it goes forward. Firstly, I mean, I think what's come out of this very clearly is that the country really looks like it's storing up, particularly a young generation of people really without opportunities, who are likely to be getting
3: extremely frustrated. How is the country going to cope with that? Well, it is difficult to see. I mean, Spain um, traditionally has been a, an agricultural country, uh, a country with not so many people well-educated. Nowadays, we have a, a, probably the, the, the most educated generation in Spanish history. Um, I mean, everybody has, almost everybody has gone to university, has their degrees and so on. Most of the young people can speak English um, and, and, and go abroad to work. And, and yet, I mean, it is the, the generation which which has most problems, or the same problems as as in the eighties or in the on the seventies. That seems to to be a little bit uh, too much for for our generation to cope mm. with, yeah.
0: Mm. And Giles, finally, um, tourism has always been a, a traditionally been a, a a massive source of income for, for Spain. It's been falling away over the last few years, with a sort of a, a, a fall off in 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 French and, and German German visitors due to, to problems elsewhere, I guess, in the, you know, in, in the Eurozone. Um, what's the future for that all-important industry looking like?
2: Well, I have to say that in the short term, it's looking rather rosy, actually, because as North Africa burns, Spain gains, uh, Spain's tourism industry has suffered because of cheaper competition, basically, especially from Tunisia, um, a bit from Morocco, um, and Turkey and um and so i think it's uh, it's going to be a, a a net gainer from um from the current situation in in north africa i mean it's a very important part of the economy what spain is finding is that budget airlines the huge number of people who now own property and therefore don't um rent hotel rooms or or apartments or if they do rent them they do it privately means that basically the overall spend of tourists is going down. That said, Spain has a, a long and very good track record as a as a as a sort of tourism uh, superpower if you want and it's been um very clever at reinventing itself. Um you know, city tourism is now a huge thing. Um rural tourism is a uh, is growing
0: okay well, a relatively positive note to end on then that's the end of this week's discussion i'm afraid um next week will be the final part of the focus series we'll be looking at poland so thanks to giles tremlett in barcelona eduardo suarez and jill trina uh, here in london the producer today was vivienne perry thanks very much to her i'm john henley and thank you for listening
4: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk
1: forward slash audio.